If you missed it live, catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za. Welcome back to Kaya Drive, third hour of the show. Still joined in studio by Dr. Zuelim Kize. Uh, got a tweet from Noel Sando Duma saying, come on, please allow us to ask him questions. <laughs> you are allowed, ma'am. You can give us a call right now. 086-00-00959. Or you can just send us a voice note on 63 I'm not going to waste any time with music. We've only got 50 minutes left. So let's get back into this issue of um, ethics within the leadership. So in the NEC meeting that's coming up on Friday, it is expected that because there's an ethics committee there as well, uh, all of the people that have been nominated going towards the conference will have to answer to an ethics committee. Um, you mentioned that your matter pertaining to digital vibes, for example, has received clearance from parliament. But at the ethics committee, I'm not sure if that has been vetted. What's the status there? Well, the Ethics Committee had released a report uh, last year Hmm. and that uh, on the basis of the matter relating to my son and uh, the money paid to the um, uh, the repair of the house lights, Hmm. uh, then they felt that that matter would have... uh, caused a, a bad image of the organization and that I should then be suspended. Mm. Now that matter has been cleared by parliament. Uh, we had uh, a process within the uh, uh, NEC that there should be an appeal made uh, to deal with um, you know, a report that comes from the Integrity Commission. Uh, in this case, uh, I actually submitted the appeal in December last year, around 17th of December. <clears throat> uh, and I haven't really uh, had much of that process because I raised it again uh, around the 3rd or 4th of July in an NEC meeting that that uh, matter had in fact been sent for um, for appeal, but it had not. Uh, I had not had uh, any response from that. I subsequently wrote to uh, uh, Comrade Mashatile to say to him, "Look, here is this um, appeal. Uh, it has also not been, um, uh, you know, acted upon." <clears throat> so now, in the last uh, normal NEC, I raised the issue because the uh, the. the uh, TG Comrade uh, Mashatile came to say to me that uh, he wanted to try and get a team to deal with it but there's a, a fault in the process because there was a, an appeal committee that should have been set that was set up but uh, its terms of reference have really not been adopted yet so it's a, a process that really got stuck. I think everything there is in limbo. But nevertheless, the um, uh, elections, uh, the, nomina- the, ele- the elections committee has actually given uh, the list uh, of people who have been nominated, having gone through those uh, situations. They would have considered everything that needed to have been considered there, and then um, uh, they released the names uh, at that point so uh, I don't uh, know there's anything new that would have arisen since then uh, that would have necessitated that they must revise the list so I would be waiting to hear what is there that's being discussed uh, because I'm aware I'm aware that there's nothing new uh, insofar as that name uh, my name is concerned but I, I don't know what the process is going to be that, uh, that we're discussing for, for Friday. So ANC's own step aside rule uh, dictates that if there is anything uh, that a member is answerable for, then they should not contest power. 
uh, we're hearing that branches are saying that they're going to repeal that, for example, once conference starts. We'll have to see what happens. But of course, it's entirely up to them because you all will be convening there. And I suppose it would be the NZ decision to take at that point. But what, what I'd want to ask is, does the party not worry itself then if it would seem that every member or at least majority of them in great leadership positions all have a cloud hanging over their head? You'd even ask yourself, couldn't they nominate anybody else who didn't have a cloud hanging over their head? And does it not speak, for example, to the Ross in the ANC that everybody uh, at least has something to answer for? There, there are two things I think <clears throat> we must consider when we deal with that question. Firstly, that uh, uh, the ANC as a party uh, is opposed to corruption. <clears throat> we have uh, resolutions that we must stamp it out. So there is never going to be anyone who does any form of corruption with the blessing of the party. And I think it needs to be understood who the ANC is. Is those ordinary members of uh, you know society who are you know are members of the ANC, but society as as a whole uh, you know uh, you know does not want to see corruption thriving. So we must all accept that that's the position that we must all take to fight corruption. And in this case, uh, the ANC has embarked on that kind of program. Now the there are procedures that investigations have to be followed so that everybody must subject themselves to any investigative process if they are accused of corruption. Now, that there may be accusations that come about because there is corruption, but that will only be found when the processes prove that there is corruption and therefore action is being taken on the individuals. On the other hand, <clears throat> there, there may be allegations which may be uh, unfounded and therefore the process will also have to prove that that is the situation. I think it's enough for us to say that, uh, you know, uh, uh, personally, I would be uh, uh, bold enough to say I will fight corruption wherever it arises, but I know that the ANC has taken such a stand. Now, the fact that uh, <clears throat> we have found a number of members being involved, I think we must subject people to that kind of process. The ANC processes and disciplinary uh, processes does allow uh, for people to be uh, um, disciplined for for, for corruption, and in this case, uh, the, uh, there would be a need for individuals as well to take responsibility uh, and say if there is a particular problem, then they may actually have to take their own decision as to how to act uh, to protect the image of the organization. Now, in my case, <clears throat> uh, I actually resigned, resigned from the executive. As much as I have actually said I was not uh, uh, guilty of any wrongdoing, I did resign and it helped to, to uh, deal with the matter and uh, all the processes have been gone through in this case. So I think everybody should be prepared for, for, for that. But in terms of the members having to um, you know, nominate people, there are certain levels of perceptions, uh, if somebody is certainly charged and been you know, uh, convicted and so on, it's very easy for uh, members to be able to say that this one has actually been convicted of it. But where there are allegations that still need to be proven, I think we need to keep that understanding that the allegations have to be, they have to take a particular cause of, of investigation as it were. So th when we go into the 
um, um, conference, members are taking all of these issues into account, uh, you know, allegations, the investigative processes, uh, the image of the organization, the performance of the individual, the need they have for uh, particular uh, skills in the in the organization, and take all of that and then take the, uh, the nomination from that point of view. So I would say, therefore, it does become a complex matter when you get to the conference as to how you get uh, elections of individuals. But allegations uh, need to be, uh, you know, probed properly, and uh, and we must all subject ourselves in that situation. And I think if someone says uh, I'm innocent, they must actually be taken through the process, and they can prove they're innocent, and then we move on. Hmm. Hmm. We've got some voice notes. Uh, you can put in your earphones just to be able to hear what it is that people are asking, uh, and then we'll be taking some calls as well. Uh, I just want to ask does he think he's firing or, or, or his resignation or forced to, to resign from his portfolio or was it to maybe Amanda I'll take another one my question to Dr. William Kese is, as a youth, what can he do or say to convince us uh, to vote for his party in the coming elections? Yeah, because I mind you, I critique it. So the NC Youth League has come out in support of you, Kavazela. Um, <laughs> and then, as he correctly points out, I mean, you mentioned unemployment in the country. Once you factor it and just speak about youth unemployment, it goes north of 50%. Uh, unacceptable by any measure and any standard, I'm sure you can agree. So maybe you can start off by answering that second question first. Uh, if you were to be elected, what is it that you would do for our economy and our country? You know, the issue of youth unemployment and the support we have to give to the youth is a very very important issue uh, there cannot be a country that can move look at uh, the future without investing properly to the youth i think that the youth need to be given lots of skills lots of education to be supported to be mentored so that they can actually build their own livelihood through uh, the skills they have, through the support they can get. And I think that it's important for even the education system to be structured such that it allows young people to get into education and also begin to know how they can actually run a, a successful, you know, income generating uh, program on their own, even, you know, even if they don't have degrees, the artisanal skills and all of that is, becomes important. Now, um, uh, the level of unemployment requires a huge complex prog program to address. I would say to start off with, uh, we need uh, to focus on uh, expanding the economy, growing the economy, because when you get a problem when there's not enough opportunity to get employment, I believe that it's important to even focus on uh, each sector and get a pact with government and private sector to say how 
Do we create jobs in each sector with government supporting and private sector also initiating? And then we must hold the private sector accountable for the jobs that they initially wanted to create and what over the period they are able to, to, to do with the support of government. The uh, infrastructure built is a huge issue that uh, in 2010 helped us to uh, you know, improve the economy and create jobs uh, through construction and I think we need to bring that very much close into the situation. We also need to focus on uh, bringing factories and industries closer to the villages and townships so that people don't have all to, to uh, take a taxi to town but they can have employment opportunities nearby where they are. Now the young people, we need a bank that must be able to focus on the low-end market. People who are unemployed, people who have got low, low income, people who are small who are small business, people who are in cooperatives, supported by the Reserve Bank, supported by government, so that this bank must actually help those who have got initiatives, who have got ideas of how they can create jobs. Young people are very, very uh, innovative, especially with this ICT uh, situation. Young people can do that, but not only that, you can get people who can do very simple jobs. You know, uh, since we, uh, uh, many years ago when I was working uh, as a premier in Guazul Natal, we actually trained youngsters, uh, youth, uh, for employment, and we charged the training on the basis of the absorption of the students uh, of the students after qualification. One of the cause that was very important, that, that, that was very successful, was car wash. So in 18 months when we tracked, we found that one of the students had actually, one of those young people had actually created this car wash which was employing 22 people. Where would they have been employed if they had actually not been a very entrepreneurial young man? So there are lots of opportunities which we can actually use a supporting system for young people. You don't have to go and be you know, a, a employed by a big company, but you can do certain things. But we also need to hold their big business uh, accountable. Now if somebody is making trains and manufacturing trains was I got involved in this discussion and I said if you want to do nails or rivets you no know, this thing that puts mm. one uh, you know a metal sheet to the other those things are not sophisticated you can buy small machines that you can put in the villages and township and get youngsters to actually manufacture the rivets and then the totaling number of them who are running small factories but then uh, you know all of this can actually go and supply big business then they are located in in center of town but actually they are sub, uh, supplied by small uh, you know contractors in the in the townships now i think there's a lot of that that we can do for young people educations and skills and every uh, district simple things you know uh, even artisanal things uh, where people uh, you know even cobbler you, you somebody's got a problem with a shoe somebody can mend it you know sewing somebody can do a suit uh, you know for you it's it's a business and so on but you also also have huge uh, high end businesses where black business must be supported to get into those high level uh, you know industrial uh, you know operations that are possible so we need to focus a lot on that and i want to say we need to actually structure this on a district to district basis commit government and private sector, local municipalities, what are you going to buy from young people? What are you going to buy from small businesses? And then monitor on a continuous basis so that everywhere when we say there are going to be jobs created, every sector must tell us where they're going to do the jobs, how many, and which district, and how many in this district, and monitor it. And young people must be mobilized at that level. So I think there's a lot that we need to do.
Mm. When we come back, I want to speak about that uh, that last point about doing business with government. Uh, how practical is it? How many people actually have the access that's required in order to be able to render and offer their services to government institutions? And then, of course, the issue of capital. You spoke about banks. I want us to delve deeper into that. Uh, still joined by Dr. Zulim Kiza in the studio for the next 25 minutes. You can give us a call if you've got any questions. 86 Good afternoon, team. Good afternoon, Kabazela uh, Dogodel. Um, my question is pertaining the known issue of people robbing tenders, particularly in KZN. There are forums now; they are becoming formal, but they are literally robbing tenders, and they are affecting service delivery because they stop everything unless you give them cash that they demand. That is known, but these groups are seemingly growing in support and in getting response because they are getting what they want. What would you do as a president to make sure that the country is runnable and with the rule of law intervening in such issues? Let's take another voice note. Hello, Caesar and team. I came in a village called Begazdor outside Zanin. There is two villages there. There is Kabaza and Begazdor. And this place, since 1999, we never had water, even today. The only, there is trucks that are delivering water, but those trucks are selling water. And those people who are selling water there, they are connected to the ANC. They are selling water to a, a Jojo tank. They charge 350. And those villages, those two villages, there is, they are poor villages. Then what I want to say is this, the ANC only serve its people, only serve those people who are connected to the ANC. Last time we had the meeting, when we raised these issues, those people there, they said to us, the people who need water, they must have bowls. Some of us don't, we can't even afford those bowls. What I'm saying is, ANC doesn't have the interest of the people at that, they only have the interest of themselves at that. Okay. Uh, so maybe let's go with the first voice notes where they were speaking about tenders. Um, you were speaking about how young people should be given opportunities to work with governments, should be given funding. The term tenderpreneur, for example, uh, has been made to seem like a very negative thing because the idea of even doing business with government because of the corruption and the rampant corruption is always seen as dishonest uh, way of business. I think the concern people have had are instances where, you know, there are people who do nothing but they use their connection to those in authority to access contracts and that's the issue that we've been talking about and that is something that we must be very strongly against so that we must stamp it out. But it is not going to be possible to say government will perform all the services. So there will be services that will require someone from outside government to do. What we need is to be very strong in monitoring and ensuring that uh, these uh, are done procedurally correctly and that it's not as just, you know, young black um, business people who get tenders. They're huge business, huge companies that are actually serving servicing government. And many of them are actually run by white people. So when you deal with this issue, you need to understand that there are needs for government to get a business to, partic- to participate in uh, rendering services, whereas government is the one that actually offers the biggest contracts right across, whether it's construction and everything. So th- we need to just understand that. But what people are actually saying Let's not have 
corruption in the way people receive those contracts and that's what we must fight and I think it's important to make that distinction. Now having said so, the caller raises the problem of uh, um, the what they what call the uh, people are robbing tenders. It's a, it's a new thing that's a tendon, the, the, the tendons that has just come up. It was never there before and um, I think there are two things that I think are probably seemingly linked to it. Part of it has got to do with people who are taking advantage of the fact that they can cause uh, they can cause uh, disruption and get away with it. Uh, and so maybe they feel that uh, police aren't very strong in dealing with this matter. The other one are people who uh, you know uh, feel that there is corruption all along, so they are justifying doing those kinds of things. It's wrong. It's wrong. It doesn't matter the explanation. But my point would be uh, immediately, you know, uh, we have to deal with this. The ANC government and all the parties must actually focus on it. One, I think that we need to be very clear how you allow people to be participating in the uh, contra- in the contracts, in the construction, how you can uh, engage, involve, and uh, incorporate people who are, you know, uh, emerging contractors so that it is clear how that is done. Then you bring in the police, bring in the associations that are also, that are involved and bring everybody together so that they can monitor, they can report and then there must be a response. And I think that it can be done. This thing doesn't need to take take a long time. It can actually be done within within the end of a year you could actually have all of this. And then of course engage people because some of the people can justify and say there's a reason why this is the case. They must be convinced that it's not so but then how do you go about it want to get to, to, to be involved in the in business. But also, nothing happens without capital, right? And very often, uh, we speak about the need for a government bank, but because of the trust deficit, people are even reluctant to allow that to happen. Uh, we saw it happen with VBS, for example. Uh, wherever there is money involved, uh, the general public in South Africa is just reluctant to give government full unvetted access to such money. I think if you deal, if you're talking about a bank, the bank has run like a bank in this in the form of, uh, you know, uh, proper financial administration and proper, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, good governance and uh, uh, fighting against corruption. It needs to be primarily about that. But uh, it's also important to say uh, there is a need for such a bank and then because we're talking about low and low income uh, groups, they will not necessarily on their own uh, be able to deal with uh, with that. But just give you an example. There are lots of um, uh, you know, grants that come from government. Now, some of those grants don't necessarily need to come as grants. They can actually come as some form of low interest loans that can actually use, be used by young people, by women, by you know, small businesses. Uh, but as long as the administration is properly, you know, uh, done, I think that becomes a, you know, a, a, an important issue there. Mm. Well, if you've got any questions, please give us a call. Uh, I see some people complain that they're not asking questions, but they're also not calling. Uh, so if you call us, obviously, we'll put you on air. 86 Kukuletu. I am well, thank you. Uh, so what's happening in the world of business? Today, we've just been concentrating in the world of politics. Ooh, I see that. I see that. <laughs> I, I must just say, I've been listening into the conversation, so I must say it's uh, it's great to hear some of the insights that you've been sharing, uh, Kabazela. So really appreciate it. And maybe I'll, I'll pick your brain on a few themes there. But as you say, interesting dynamics in the world of business. Steinoff, uh, you might recall that uh, just earlier this week, we were unfolding on the fifth year anniversary since the uh, calamity 
committee that uh, took place there. Mm. While uh, the FSCA, Financial Sector Conduct Authority, has come forward to actually decrease the fine, the penalty that was issued to Marcus Huesta. That was primarily for... And it already wasn't even that high. It wasn't that high, right? Yeah. 20 million is where it's at now, uh, coming down 90% uh, as a decline. No reasons have been offered by the FSCA, but we have reached out to them to give us some feedback. But of course, this just adds another spanner into the works regarding the level of accountability that we need to see being instituted to private sector leaders who actually um, are literally found of corruption as well as a fraudulent activity. So that's one that we'll build up on. And a key theme as well that speaks to building the economy is the manufacturing space, right? And we're well aware that we've got a high level of uh, vehicle manufacturers who invest in South Africa. A majority of these vehicles are exported primarily to Europe as well as markets within uh, the Middle East. And the major concern is that as the world actively participates in a just transition and moving towards minimizing carbon emissions, South African manufacturers or those that are based here need to quickly evolve as well to move to new energy vehicles versus the typical um, combustion vehicles. But the concern is the skills gap that we might have to fill. Of course, by not taking advantage of this opportunity, it will just minimize the number of vehicles that we're able to export internationally. 100%. So more than that, I mean, uh, I remember at some point uh, with the Mercedes C-Class, all left-hand drive C-Classes were only getting manufactured here in the country. True. Um, I'm not sure how much that has changed, but you've got to look at the domestic market as well. And we haven't got a large domestic market for EVs. Mm-mm. So if we were sort of to start manufacturing them here, they would majority just be for exports. Oh, for sure. But that's exactly what we need, right? Because um, what we found is that the demand for new vehicles, and as you say, EV vehicles in South Africa is very low, but there is a great market for us to capture internationally. Mm-hmm. And the concern is that if we lag behind in evolving quickly enough, we're just going to lose our competitive advantage as a hub that's proven to be quite popular for vehicle manufacturing here. Because then it's not just, okay, is Ford coming to, is Ford wanting to invest in South Africa? It's South Africa versus other markets across the globe that are quickly evolving, changing their policies, adapting their skills base as well to be competitive in that market. And we could use EV technology for the problems that we face with right now. We've oh, got power man. problems. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so if Tesla were to be in the country, <laughs> you could get a Tesla all for a lot cheaper than you currently can get it for. Uh, because maybe ESCOM won't be a long-term solution in the future. Mm, very true. You can, and I'm hoping that it is a solution that we'll look into. Of course, we do need just a little bit more support in terms of infrastructure, but of course, the price point for the vehicles is also a concern, especially in a market like South Africa. So mm. that's one of the concerns there. Okay. But I have a quick question to squeeze in because everyone oh, else is saying that they ahead. don't have a question. Go ahead. Deputy Minister. Oh, gosh. Now I'm saying Deputy Minister. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> that's a <laughs> promotion. <laughs> that's a promotion. Oh, I could be saying something else, right? That might lead to, to the presidency. But I, I appreciate all the insight that you've shared around the economy. We've been listening very tentatively as um, um, audience members. But what I'm really intrigued about, um, and see as we touched on it earlier, this trust deficit that we often see between the private sector and the public sector. It's always heightened, especially during times like uh, these where there's um, a tumultuous news flow that's influencing the markets. And I'm keen to understand if you have any learnings that you can share during your time as the health minister in South Africa, naturally what we saw was that there was a heightened level of camaraderie, companionship and trust that actually uh, took place between members of the private sector as well as government. Are there lessons and learnings that you think we can unlock from that experience to propel South Africa into an ongoing uh, economy that actually sees positive growth outcomes? 
No, a very interesting question, you know, Kukulit, because as a matter of fact, there is no way South Africa can grow, South Africa's economy can grow, unless there is cooperation between public and private sector. Mm -hmm. And whatever people say about the African National Congress, there is no leader of the ANC that will sit here, sit here and say, we can never work with business. It is un you know, unimaginable. And so sometimes the stories that go out there about well, there's going to be this group, that faction, this and that and that, is a figment of imagination. The reality is that we have to deal with the issue of inequality in this country. But the basis of it is that you need a partnership. You know when there was a problem in uh, Japan after the tsunami, <clears throat> somebody came back was telling the story. Prime Minister came in, called business and said, guys, we have a problem, we need to rebuild. One, two, three is what needs to be done. What do we need in South Africa? Uh, what I would do, I would call the different sector say well, let's come in here mm -hmm. this sector let's talk about car manufacturing i've been engaged with them, with them quite a bit when i was treasurer general what's your target where you want to go what do you need from government now how many jobs can you create now the market that you need from outside government needs to help to create because of the bilateral relationships east west and everywhere that's why we have to deal with the rest of the world and everywhere not just be on only deal with one part of the world mm -hmm. and for every sector we can actually have a target jobs to be created growth that we need and out of that we monitor it then break it down where is where are all these located district by district and then we can actually have this Pact, this pact, this social combat that at the end of the year we're all counting did you get the jobs you wanted, who went wrong what went wrong, mm -hmm. simple things getting to give a municipal license for the thing to be done rezoning and so on a lot of that can be done good governance is what will give you that. So I'm saying I've been through that kind of space where with uh, what we call the growth coalition in Guazulu Natal we would sit here and then go to the department that is slowing down the uh, investment opportunities mm -hmm. and look at L the district and where do we need to uh, you know, distribute your investors all over so that everybody must feel they're giving attention. For me it's a fascinating opportunity to actually grow the economy and keep this partnership because there's no way Business belongs here, government will be here, poverty must be reduced, inequality must be reduced, there must be space for increasing new participants. Then you'll stop all of this thing of people who think they can hijack their way into a construction thing when they don't have the skills. That for me is what we need to do. Thank you very much. Kaya Biz coming through in 11 minutes. Stick around for that. Peggy in Johannesburg. Good afternoon, Mr. Domo. How are you, sir? We well. Thank you very much. What's your question? Thank you, man. Um, um, we long overdue for a senior leader as a president in our country. In your view, as men been changing themselves and but not giving an opportunity to a female leader, uh, I want to ask you, sir, if it is in your uh, interest at the moment and the ANC decided to choose for a female leader just to change the grounds and probably looking at female in our country that are capable, which female uh, leader that you will probably suggest that the ANC can choose to be uh, our next president. I'm gunning for that and I'm praying every day that one day we find a woman as the president in our country. Thank you very much for that, Peggy. Kawazel, uh, let's take maybe another question and then you can answer both of them. Teboho uh, in West Rand. Uh, thank you, Susie. I just wanted to uh, to ask the doctor, um, what are the chances of South Africa changing the economic system? Because seemingly this capitalis, uh, capitalism is not working for us. And I've checked in Africa, uh, we don't have any country that has successfully achieved the economic uh, activity. 
uh, under the, this movement, this, this uh, uh, capitalism. Uh, and we checked that even the parastitas, the way they were formed, I think more of socialism was used and they were able to actually deal with unemployment. But now employing this capitalism system is killing us because it, it benefits the minority. So I just wanted to check, uh, can, can it be that uh, the ANC can think about uh, moving to, towards socialism? Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Kawazela, maybe just to answer those, you've got about two minutes, so maybe a minute on each. Okay. Look, we, the ANC believes in what we call a mixed economy, where private sector will play a role and the uh, public sector, the government, will play a role, but other forms such as uh, uh, social ownership, uh, cooperatives, I still believe that there's a lot of room for us to mobilize our people around those three forms of ownership and management of the economy. That is what I would like us to focus on, and uh, there is still space for parasitas to be controlled by government and to create jobs and also to manage some of the services which are important for this, for society. The other, there are a couple other questions here, but let me just deal with the issue of the female leader. Uh, certainly, uh, I believe that uh, South Africa has got a lot of uh, capable women leaders, and uh, of all of them, uh, we must say that it's going to be in the ANC. There's nothing that stops any leader, female leader, from being elected. Then, at the end, it's going to be up to the delegates, the in the conference. Uh, or the voters in the uh, national elections to decide whether they want to give support to this or that particular individual. But I don't see that there should be any restriction for anybody because uh, of uh, being female. Then the one other point that was raised, uh, I can just say in relation to the question of uh, have I been suspicious of anything? I've actually accused the, uh, you know, on the issue of digital vibes, I, the investigation needed to be done and I've raised all the issues there. The only question that I've raised is why did the SIU decide to fabricate a report and, uh, based on uh, falsity? And I've asked them, was there any influence about it behind the scenes? And the question for me is that I have seen that there are certain things that happened here, uh, you know, where pe- people interfere in the um, uh, criminal justice system. So that's why I've challenged it to say, let's come out, let's be clear what's happening. I think lastly, having said so, I must say that uh, the ANC conference must be about bread and butter issues, fuel prices that are up, food prices that are up. It must be about crime, you know, theft and car hijacks. It must be about drugs. It must be about, you know, gender-based violence. It must be about, you know, poverty, unemployment, youth distress. All of these are the issues that must be part of the ANC day-to-day life and occupation as well as the conference. And on that basis, I want to say to the young people, we, as Zuelim Kize, I would want to stand up there and say I'm the champion of the improvement of the life of the young people and their development and when I depart I must be able to look back and see how many young people have been mentored and helped so that they can actually take over this land and run as owners of this land. Thank you very much. Uh, that is all the time that we have for this interview this afternoon. Dr. Zulim Kize uh, thank you very much for joining us. And if you missed it live catch the broadcast on kaya959.co.za